You're listening to the Diet Rebel Podcast with Kiki Smith. If you're a woman who hates the idea of having to choose between loving your body and changing it, then you are a diet rebel and this podcast is for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything from loving your body exactly as it is now to becoming the most fit, lean, and toned you've ever been, no matter how old you are, how many tiny humans you've birthed, or how many times you've lost and regained the same 15 or 50 pounds. Seriously, you don't want to miss it. So grab a snack, preferably protein-based, and sit back and enjoy this episode. Hey guys, it's Kiki from Eat More Away Less, and I have a super special guest here today. She is one of my strength training mentors, and I just love her to death, Kelly Davis. She is the co-author of Get Glute, no, of Strong Curves, the creator of Get Glutes and Mother Fitness. And what what else do you have going on right now, Kelly? Oh, so many things. <laughs> a couple is good. <laughs> Yes, every time that we talk, you have something new going on or something new launching. And yeah. Kelly and I actually just met earlier this year, March, April. I can't even remember when it was. Sometime over the summer, yeah. I think yeah, it was June. Just, just over the summer. And, and we hit it off because I have actually been following a lot of her stuff and reading her books before I met her. And then when I met her in person, she was just super down to earth. And we clicked from everything from the way that we raise our uh, chickens <laughs> to the way that we train and everything else. So she is a beast in the gym and she's an expert at what she does. So wanted to have her on here to get some insight as to what she's up to now and how she feels about a lot of the stuff that um, I always talk about. And I wanted you guys to get an expert's opinion because Often it's very easy to um, just kind of dismiss something when you only hear one person saying it. So I want you to hear an expert's opinion on just a lot of the industry uh, fallacies, I would say, because that's one of the things that we connected on. Right, Kelly? Absolutely. And with an introduction like that, I almost feel like I have to leave. Like, oh, <laughs> now I have to live up to all this that she just <laughs> So thank you for that. I'm like on cloud nine right now. I really appreciate it. And it was a pleasure meeting you and, um, you know, getting to know about you and, and your, your drive to do what you're doing and how you got your family involved. And it's really a wonderful thing that you're doing. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm going to dive right in. And then I know how, you know, me and you, when, when, once we get to talk and other stuff will come out too, but one of the things that really, really um, stood out to me when we were talking is the fact that you were competing at one time. Mm -hmm. So, and you were, was it for figure or bikini? What were yeah, you? Yeah, I started competing sort of, um, like my first show was when the NPC just introduced bikini and it was sort of new and nobody knew what was going on. So I was doing figure at the time but, um, you know, they were transitioning into bikini. It was like a really small thing. My first show, there was maybe like two bikini competitors. And now you look at it, there's like 150 every show, you know. So it's, it's a much, much different environment now. And um, it was really sort of a, like a, a milestone that I wanted to reach after I had already reached my goal. So it's kind of funny, like when you first get into your fitness adventure, or whatever you're doing, you, you know, you set these goals for yourself. 
and you're like, holy cow, I did that. And I did that sooner than I thought I could do it. Now I have to do something else. You know, and after a while, you're kind of like, okay, let's just work on, you know, being a better person and, and sustainability. But when you first start out, it's like, oh, I have to attain and chase all these things. So my first goal was to get in the best shape of my life by the time I was 30. You know, I, I'd had my second child. I had a really hard pregnancy. I didn't exercise. It had been like two and a half years um, since he was born that I hadn't gone to the gym at all, that I wasn't taking care of myself. And I just, you know, I was in my 20s and I felt really out of shape and I felt kind of old. Like, this isn't what my life is supposed to be like. Um, and, you know, and I, I would read Oxygen and read a lot of the, the models in there were moms. And I was like, well, you know, they're not some like but they didn't drink from the fountain of youth or anything like they're putting in the work to attain the body that they have and the lifestyle that they have so I thought why not me and so that's when I set the goal to be in the best shape of my life by the time I was 30 and I hit that goal you know pretty soon like I think I was like 28 or 29 and I was like wow so what's next and there was a lot of competitors I, I trained at a gym that had powerlifters and figure and bodybuilders and everything and they would always host seminars um so i'm like i went to a seminar and i'm like yeah i, I can picture myself doing this and i just did and i did it all wrong <laughs> <You know? laughs> i was um it's kind of funny i was a middle school teacher at the time and one of my students his parents were ifbb professional bodybuilders and so i hired them to be my coach and though, you know, bodybuilders can always um, walk the walk, they're not they don't necessarily make the best coaches because a lot of them, you know, they don't have the background and the training and, and the knowledge. They just kind of do what everybody else is doing. And that's kind of what I got sucked into is the very low cal, tons of cardio, lifting weights six days a week. Like if you don't feel like you've been hit by a bus, then you're not doing it right. Right, right. And, you know, I did that for my first show, and it was, um, I didn't really develop, like, an eating disorder or have, like, metabolic syndrome or anything that you, you hear about a lot of these girls, but it was definitely um, this mental block that hit me because I was so tiny. I was, like, a size one. I weighed 117 pounds at, you know, five foot six and a half, and I, I hadn't weighed that since, like, my freshman year in high school. You know, and and I just I didn't want to put on weight. You know, when I would go shopping and and I would buy all these like really small clothes, and I would be afraid to to eat more than what I was eating when I had my coach because I didn't I I like the way I look. Right. And um, then I trained for another show, and I started realizing like, well, I'm not building any more muscle. Like I'm staying really skinny, and um. So after my second show, I'm like, okay, you feel like poop all the time. You're always in a bad mood. You're, you're afraid to eat food. You know, you're, you're training constantly. Like, it's just this mental thing that you're doing to yourself. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, it's, it wasn't like anything was backing this up. Like, this is what I had to be doing. So I switched gears and I said, well, nobody said that the other way doesn't work. They're just telling me you have to do it this way. So I started eating more and I started exercising less and, and you know, allowing my body to recover and use, having more playtime in my life rather than, you know, doing the 
arduous, like 60 minutes a day of cardio and go on bike rides with my kids and run around the jungle gym and play at the park and, you know, just live life like I wanted to. And I looked better and I felt better and I started gaining muscle and my body transformed really, really fast. And I realized that, you know, what I was doing previously was hindering my progress. And that's why a lot of times, you know, girls who normally wouldn't fall into the traps of taking the diet pills and taking, you know, um, steroids and, and all the, the drugs that you see girls get put on for even now bikini, figure bikini bodybuilding, you know, girls that say never in my whole life would I ever do that and they end up doing it is because they don't realize that, you know, your body can only do so much with the, the tools that you're giving it. So that was, um, you know, some, sort of my eye-opening moment where I was like, I'm going to go against the green. I'm going to walk against traffic and do it this other way and see what happens. And, you know, that was a huge turning point for me. Um, so I did a, a few more shows. I actually switched from NPC to the natural um, tested organizations. Just because a lot of what I saw like behind the scenes at my NPC shows really bothered me. Like I didn't want, you know, was, I, I just didn't fit into that world and I didn't, I didn't want to be around it. And then um, after a while, you know, I just, I did this one show. It was a pro qualifier and I, I ended up placing like third or fourth. I don't even remember, but I just remember it being like a Saturday night and my, my kids who were little were sitting in the audience, like watching these dudes dressed like Superman, painted, you know, golden bronze, like flexing on stage until 10 o'clock at night. And their thongs. <laughs> and I'm like, like, what kind of mother am I? Like, you know, this is how my kids are spending their Saturday family night together. And it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, you don't need to be doing this to, to you know, commit to and love the lifestyle factor of it. And I, I started realizing that that's what drove me, you know, the, the getting stronger, learning new exercises, trying new things, learning new recipes. Everything that I was doing behind the scenes was my, my driving factor. It wasn't like getting on stage and having everybody look at me, and, you know, putting me in a lineup and telling me where I belong. So right. it, was, um, it was definitely a growing process for me. Um, it did help me sort of get back into being, you know, the fit person that I was growing up. And um, it, it propelled me into my fitness career. So <laughs> obviously I'm no longer a middle school teacher. Um, but it's, you know, it's, I think, um, I don't think I would be where I am today if I hadn't have done that. But I wouldn't necessarily say like, hey, if you want to get super healthy and fit, <laughs> love weightlifting, try figure competing or competing. You know, so <laughs> that's not the route that I recommend. <laughs> well, because like you said, so many people, you know, you get, and maybe, and maybe you probably notice this even more, like, does it seem like it just, like you can't stop after a while? Because I know, like you said, I see so many women that that is a goal and maybe it's like they're like oh I've just always wanted to do this and then they do that and then it's like and then you know four weeks later they're at another show you know and then like then 10 weeks later they're at another show and it's just like then it's just like show after show after show and they're really like running I mean your body needs some downtime between like contest prep 
Yeah, and you know, it's a, it's a. I guess you you don't categorize it as a sport, but um, it's definitely like people that do bodybuilding can definitely be considered to have like that competitive athletic mindset. Um, but it, it, in any sport, you you have in season and out of season and pre season, and a lot of people don't treat bodybuilding that way, and they should. Right. And you know that's just it's very detrimental. Um, to your body, to your mental health. You know, you see these girls that just have complete, like, mental breakdowns and, you know, they develop body dysmorphia and, and they just push themselves into um, areas in their lifestyle that, you know, they probably wouldn't have gone into had they not been exposed to this this constant pressure of being better and, you know, bringing up lagging parts and, and getting rid of glute folds and, you know, just like all these terms that come into it and, and you, you no longer see your body for what it is. You see it for all of its imperfections. Right. Right. And I do, I think it sort of becomes like a mental, a mental game. And that's, you know, that's why these girls do these show after show after show. And right. with the dysmorphia, because you, you get used to the way your body looks in contest shape. And then it's really hard to accept even normal, even what you would have considered your best possible shape, you know, like before you started competing. Yeah. And, you know, then, then you have to go out into the world and, like, everybody is used to seeing you, like, completely ripped and, and tan and beautiful. And then, like, you see your best friend, like, two months after your show and you, you look completely different. And, you know, so it, there is that sort of um, – societal image that people have of bodybuilders that you have to look like that all the time. And it's just, you know, it's, um, it just didn't work for me. It, it does work for some people, but it, it, it also, you have to think about the fact that, you know, this is your body forever. Like you don't get a reset button. So everything that you're putting into your body and that you're doing to your body now is going to affect you when you're older. Right. You just have to be really, really smart about it. You know, do you still want to look like an athletic fit person in your 70s, which you can do, but not by completely killing yourself in your 20s and 30s? Right. Exactly. You have to. And I think because our body is so forgiving in our 20s that we don't realize it, you know. And so a lot of times we aren't realizing it until, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And we're like, well, and we think that the problem is something current. When it was right. really just the compounding of what was happening in the first yeah. place, you know, and I think, I think what you brought up the society standpoint, I think that's a good point too, because it's something that I'm always trying to get across even, you know, to clients and people and other trainers that I work with is understanding the, the in season and off season physique of a competitor or a fitness model or whatever, because the, if we hold them to those sections of perf those like perfection standards, then that does kind of it helps that feeling that they're already like oh what if everybody is going to think I'm fat right and we do too and because we have unrealistic viewpoints like anybody who's not in that industry that don't know or they're just looking at the magazines like that's that's what they're trying to achieve that's what the basic you know your average housewife or, you know, soccer mom is trying, they want the picture that's on the magazine, not realizing that that was probably a temporary look, and maybe that person doesn't even look like that. Right, and the lighting, and the, the editing, and everything the that goes up. 
You know, I remember like when I first started really getting into going to the gym and, you know, I wanted to be a competitor, I would get my monthly oxygen magazine and I would say, okay, I want this girl's shoulders. I want her legs. I want her abs. I want her. <laughs> and I was like reading this Mrs. Potato Head of these beautiful <laughs> models and like thinking that I could achieve like that. That was my goal. Yes. And it was, oh, it was, it was completely um, aesthetic. You know, I never, I never set these goals of, you know, increasing my endurance or getting stronger or feeling amazing or improving my sleep or having more energy or better moods. Like it was always aesthetic. Like I want to look like her. I want her shoulders. I want her glutes, you know, and it's, it's, um, I think when we're exposed to that so often that we kind of forget what the journey is all about. And, you know, you, ha you have to reverse that mindset and you have to think about, um, you know, all the, the internal goals, the, you know, the peace of mind that you achieve, um, everything that goes on inside of your body that improves. You should start thinking about that first when you're on your journey. And um, I don't really work with competitors anymore. I kind of got out of that realm. But, you know, if, if I had a competitor, a girl that would come to me that hasn't competed or maybe she has, whatever, and, um, you know, her goal was to, oh, I want to do a show in three months. And I would sort of interview her and realize, like, mentally she was not ready. Right. And I was like, throw that date away. I don't care if it's, like, ideal and your mom can go and, you know, it's right down the road from you. I don't care. Like, you're not ready for that. And what getting ready for that show is going to do to your mind and body is going to affect you for a really long time. I said, I'm not that type of coach. If you want to work with somebody like that, go ahead. But you're in it for the long haul with me. And if you're not ready to compete for six months or a year or whatever, then you need to take that time and get ready. Because I think the most important thing about, um, you know, physique, competition is that you have to be okay with everything inside before you can you know put on a bikini and get judged on the outside let someone else tell you what's wrong exactly and a lot of i mean you go to these shows and depending on how big they are you know i used to do the big ones in arizona and these the same however many judges i can't even remember let's just say seven people would be there, you know, for 10 hours looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies, you know, and it's like they, you know, they could have upwards of six, 700 people in a show and it's the same seven people that have been looking at everybody all day. I, that like just thinking about the job that they have and how taxing that is after a while, I'm sure everyone starts to look the same right. and your mind starts to wander and you know, it's, it's just a natural human state of mind to be in. So you have to think about that's what you're going out and that's who's judging you. You know, somebody who's been doing this all day and they're tired and, you know, they're hungry and they're, you know, they're bored and they've been listening to the same stupid music for 10 hours, and, you know? So it's like, if you aren't mentally okay with that and mentally like in the state of mind, like I feel the best I've ever felt. I'm strong. I'm the strongest I've ever been. Um, I'm the most confident I've ever been. My job is done, and now I'm just going to go show off my hard work. Like, if you're not in that state, then don't even go on stage. Like, don't even try. Yeah, I, I think that that really is the most important because I think most women think it's going to happen the other way around. 
Yeah. I think like if I put myself on this deadline, work my butt off, get on that stage, then I'm going, I'm going to feel validated. Then I'm going to feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. Then I'm going to feel like I've accomplished everything that I need to accomplish. And I think it's important to hear. And all, all of these interviews that I've been doing, every single person is saying the same thing, like your mind. The mindset has to be there before you accomplish these things. And I, and I don't think that's said enough in the industry. You know, it, do, it does become all, you know, like you said, the Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> that's such a great analogy because that's what we do. And I remember doing the same thing. I flipped in my oxygen and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need those shoulders. I want that, you know, like, I like that glute separation, whatever it is. That's, yeah. that's what I want, all these pieces. And I actually just did a scope like uh, on Labor Day about like deciphering FITSPO, you know, and, and understanding what it is that you're looking at. Like, does that even work for your genetics, for your age, for, is that person have a similar lifestyle to you? You know what I mean? Like and how you mentioned with you having the kids there in the crowd, you know what I mean? Like that's the type of stuff we have to take ourselves through before we just look at a person on Instagram and say like, oh my gosh, goals, you know, like hashtag goals. I need that because... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, what it entail? Like, did they get that body? Like, after like their husband left them and took the kids? Like, what? Right. And, and what else went into that? Or is that picture like? Were, did they go through all kind of adrenal fatigue and metabolic damage after those photos were taken? So, like, really being careful of what it is that you're even asking for, you know? Because I think sometimes the extremes of one industry, you know, trickle into the other. So you have a lot of the standards and stuff being set by the bodybuilding community and then they're into the regular health and fitness realm and people may not even realize where they came from and they're just following them blindly, you know? And even though often a lot of this, you know, now it's more talked about the metabolic damage, the adrenal fatigue, the things like that that people are experiencing. It's talked about more in the industry, but in the regular health and fitness realm, there's still, like we said, the average housewife soccer mom it's running herself into the ground trying to achieve a look because she still has maybe that the nineties mindset of like eat less exercise more. You know what I mean? Because it takes so long for the research to actually like be exposed to the public. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's always uh, <laughs> the sensationalism and, and what really happens is like the lay person doesn't understand. If you look at, um, you know, exercise, and sports science research and nutrition research, like people get their PhDs to understand that, you know, and they're the ones that are writing it and deciphering it. And, um, you know, the average, average reader, no matter how, how much you know about sports science, like I cannot, I can honestly say like you give me a sports science article about biomechanics and I don't know what it's saying. You right. know, it's 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 the trained mind that understands that type of literature and really what happens is say like um you know some sort of research article comes out and then like a personal trainer reads it and posts a blog on it and then a journalist picks up on it and they grab this idea without actually understanding the literature and then they put it in a magazine or a newspaper headline or whatever without you know clearly knowing exactly what that is about um, so that's how a lot of this stuff kind of gets thrown around in our industry, you know, and that's why there's always like a new dieting fad, like 
almonds are going to make you skinny, almonds make you fat, don't eat the yolk, do eat the yolk. You know, that's why it's ever-changing is because um, people are trying to do the jobs and decipher the information that the scientists should be doing. You know, and the, and the people with their, their masters and their PhDs and who have spent years and years um, training their minds to understand this information. So I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the research isn't there yet. I, I just think that the translation is very garbled. And, you really know, the gap. Yeah. <laughs> what, exactly. Like, what, um, what gets out there isn't necessarily, you know, the, the entire story or, you right. know, the, the art, the journal article was misinterpreted and, you know, so, and that's why it's always funny when you read, and I, as a journalist, I have to do this too. Like you can't just hand in an article based on like your personal knowledge. Like you have to have, you know, X, Y, and Z study or this expert interviewed or whatever. And I always have to have sources cited and sometimes um, it's a little questionable. Like, okay, well, this is what I'm deciphering from what I read, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure if it's right. And of course, that's not how it ends up in magazines, you know? Right. So when you, when you open up Oxygen or Shape or any of those fitness magazines and you've got like the study quoted, like you're like, whoa, you know, like they, they actually read and quoted the study and this is what the study said. Exactly. Well, you get the scientists to read the study and, and interpret it to you. It's a completely different story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just need more scientists at journalists. That's all it is. Yeah. in the classroom and start writing. <laughs> but, you know, that's why it's good. Like, um, we've got guys like Alan Aragon and, you know, my business partner, Brett Contreras and all, Brad Schoenfeld, who are regular columnists in magazines and they're you know they're like sort of the the medium that is giving us they the truthiness they're, they're the ones that are they're going yeah. they're getting the research and they're deciphering it and bringing it back to the rest of us yeah. so that we can really so I definitely think it's good like when you're reading um you know information in in magazines and newspapers and on blogs and wherever you find it to kind of look who wrote it and look who the experts are that were interviewed and do a little background check. You know, don't, don't just take everything for face value. Right. You know, you always ask questions and always look for answers and don't, you know, don't just be satisfied with something because it sounds like what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's actually exactly what it is that we're dealing with here because I know like I like, obviously I tell people to like eat more all the time, which sounds like the most like, what, why would I do that? I want to lose weight. That's not going to work. So like what, what kind of reaction do you usually get from people if you tell them they're not eating enough? Yeah. I, and I'm kind of like all over the board, you know, especially now because there's this huge, um, trend of reverse dieting, which, you know, Lane Norton sort of coined to help his competitors come off a of stage and like get back into a normal lifestyle. And now people are using that in every day and that wasn't what he intended it for. And so, you know, I, I kind of get two extremes. Like I get people who are under eating and I get people who are overeating. I'm, I'm like, okay, like you're an IT tech and you're sitting at a desk 12 hours a day and you're eating 2,600 calories because 
you want to add muscle. Like, like okay, but you're not exercising to add muscle. <laughs> you know, like you're exercising like four hours a week. So right. it's not working. You know, so um, yeah. There's there's the challenge for each, and then you have the person who's you know they're eating the right amount of calories um their macros look good like they they seem to be doing the right things but they're impatient you know <laughs> so yes. it's like you but really like 80 percent um, of the people for me like they do you have to establish like the trust factor and i think you know going back to the magazines and definitely the instagram like the only reason i joined instagram is because my daughter wanted it and I'm like, well, if she's on it, I have to be on it. Not that she shouldn't do any. Like, <laughs> she's such a good kid. I don't have to worry about, yeah, you know. Every, every good parent should be on the platform. <laughs> that yeah. So, um, you know, so I don't really fall in. I don't really follow all the Instagram stuff, which I think is worse than magazines. But um, you really have to sort of talk people off the ledge when they're they're ready to just give up after like two months they're like no 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 like me it's been like six years and i'm still striving to get stronger and to grow more muscle and you know like what i look like now i wanted to look like six years ago mm -hmm. but had i given up after two months then you know i wouldn't i wouldn't have ever achieved my goal um so a lot of times it's people see like um you know, the best body in six weeks or, you know, like train 10 minutes a day and you're going to look like me and I'm ripped and jacked and yeah. I actually don't ever eat. I exercise, you know, four hours a day. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, it's sort of building that trust factor, which I know that you're huge about, like, just trust me, trust me, you know, I'm leading you down yeah. the, the long-term path, which is going to create a lifestyle you can sustain forever versus like, you know, the six week path, which you're going to hit a dead end. And be, now where do I go? What do I do? I'm going to have to get another six week path. Um, yeah. So a lot of it's just building the trust and, and making people realize like, no, it's not instant. It's not like, and know, that's one of the things that I always tell people is like the, the best benefit that you're going to get from a like four, a 12 week plan or whatever is the fact that it got you to stick to something for 12 weeks. Right. Okay. Now let's keep going. You know what I mean? Like that's the benefit of a 12 week program. It's not that you're going to do any 12 week program and look like the person who created the program like that. I think we have to get out of our head because that, that person typically looked like that before they created the program. <laughs> so you doing their, their program is not going to make you look like them in 12 weeks. The same thing with, you know, with now, you know, our attention deficit disorder from social media, you know, everybody's putting, you know, on Instagram, you, you get a 15 second clip to put up a workout. So people have to make sure that they're not, you know, getting sidetracked and thinking like, oh, so just that super quick workout is it, you know, so you have some people putting up workouts that, you know, maybe it's like three moves and it only takes like five or 10 minutes to do. Like, the, that's not necessarily going to get you that person's physique. You know what I mean? And I think that that's something that because we keep everything's being shorter and shorter, and because we're trying to make workouts more convenient for people, they're also underestimating how long it's going to take in the long run to still get the body. So, sure, 30 minutes a day, but that's going to have to compound for quite a while 
for you to actually achieve the results that you want, you know, and understanding that the person that you're looking at is the result of a compounded workout plan, not just one. Like it's what they did this year, last year, and three years ago that created the body that they have right now, you know? Right. And I, I think it's, um, you know, just sort of building value into incremental changes. Um, I have a private Facebook page that we run for Get Glutes, which is just for our members. And then we have a Strong Curves Facebook page, which, you know, anyone can join if they bought the book and they find the Facebook page or whatever. And it's always really nice to see, like, just completed round one of my 12-week Strong Curves program, and I'm liking the changes starting round two. Yes. It's never like wow, I just did 12 weeks and I don't look like Kelly Davis. <laughs> what the heck happened? You know, it's like, yes, that, that, that three months that you just spent working on it in a specific program, like good things are happening yeah. and you have to take notice to that and you have to value um, what you're creating for yourself and realize that, you know, that everything is a stepping stone. It's never, I don't like, to create finish lines for people. You know, whenever I build a program, no matter how long it is, um, there's no finish line. And that, that's the funny thing about Get Glutes. Like we, we really started it with like no end in sight. We just wanted like an online workout program. Yeah. And then, you know, we started working with a developer and he's like, well, there has to be some sort of end with like, you know, like a prize, like, okay, you do this for 18 months and then you get an ebook or whatever. And then they like move on with their lives. Well, we're almost finishing, like we're on our 34th month of workouts, and Brett and I put up new workouts every single month, and every once in a while we have that talk, like, well, there should be like an end point, right? Like, we should <laughs> stop making content, and they should kind of go along their merry way, but... Even like, if you did, it would just be like, okay, now start from the beginning again, because... Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, well... They've come with us this far and they're still going and they're still wanting to be challenged and asking for more. And that's what we want to create. So we're kind of like, okay, well, let's just keep going until, you know, like, cause we can watch and see how many people are still in the program after so many months. And, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see that like, holy cow, these people have been with us for almost three years and they're, they're still going. Right. And they're still wanting to be challenged and they're still hungry for more. And, you know, that's how it should always be. And that's you don't necessarily have to, you know, it doesn't have to be weightlifting. It doesn't have to be yoga. It doesn't have to be running. Like you can, you know, try and explore and do different things and have seasons for, you know, what you love. Just always challenge yourself to do something better to try something new to you know always have those incremental goals in mind and don't necessarily look at like an end point or a finish line right I think I think that is key because a lot of what I will get you know from clients or other trainers who are working with clients especially like within like the over dieted population is that they, they have the the deadline mindset so it's a constant like I should be here by now. I should be at this point already. Like because of the unrealistic expectations that diets have put over the years and this like linear progress of like, well, by, by now I should have lost this much or by now I should be this size, you know, and understanding that there, you don't really, there is no timeline mm. because everyone's so different. 
And it is about just constantly doing it because if we start off with the deadline, then nine times out of 10, we're going to be frustrated way before the time would have come that the progress would have happened. You know what I mean? Like and it's always just like an arbitrary goal. Like, like what is, you know, so we think about like a vacation or a wedding or, you know, like summer beach season or whatever, like it's an arbitrary goal. And what, how would your life be better if you looked a certain way when you stepped out on the beach? Like, what is that doing? Like, why would your life be better? And you can't really say, like, you can think, well, you know, I, I won't be embarrassed to be in a bathing suit or something like that. But you don't know that, right. <laughs> you know, and you might not be embarrassed to be in a bathing suit if you lost five pounds worth versus 20 because you're <laughs> that increase your confidence, you know, like, hey, I've been sleeping nine hours a night when I used to only sleep five. And I'm, you know, I don't have to have my afternoon coffee because my energy lasts all day. And I was able to, you know, do barbell squats for the first time. And like all these other factors come into play that give you that confidence that don't necessarily translate to like your dream body, you right. know? So um, it's always nice for me when I have a client that'll tell me, um, you know, I, I went on a girl's trip over the weekend and I put on a bathing suit for the first time in, you know, 10 years and I felt really good about myself. And it's not because she... Not because they lost weight. <laughs> yeah, and it's not because she looks like Jamie Eason all of a sudden or anything, but it's because she's like kicking ass in the gym. She's been on point with her macros. You know, she's everything out, everything in her lifestyle has, you know, fallen into place and she feels really, really, really good about herself for the first time in a long time. And it has somewhat to do with, you know, her body looking better. That's always um, bonus points, but that's not the determining factor of why she felt confident in that bathing suit. You know, she, she could have crash dieted and done two hours of cardio a day and dropped, you know, 20 pounds and put on the bathing suit and she would not have felt as confident even though she was you know, skinnier or whatever because she would, she would feel like defeated. Yeah, because, and the confidence doesn't automatically come when you reach a certain right. size or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's always something, the way that you are is the way that you are regardless of your size, you know? And I know because I've been all kinds of sizes and any insecurities that I had, I took them with me <laughs> at every size, you know? And that's one of the things that people don't realize. They, we look to a thing, you know, something outward that's going to change how we feel inwardly. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it just doesn't happen that way. Like the, the change has to start within so that you, you're not as frustrated with your journey. You have more patience. You're not saying like, oh, well, if I'm not this size by swimsuit season, then forget it. You know what I mean? Like you still keep working through it. And the person that I see whenever clients go through that, you just see their confidence grow and grow. And it happens as they go through the time period where they thought that maybe they would have been a different size by then, but they just keep working through it anyways. That's where the confidence develops because then they start realizing that there's so much more to this. And even though I'm not there and yeah, it's still like to look like that. Look how strong I am or I just hit this PR, or I just deadlifted this, you know what I mean? And just focusing on all, everything else. Because when we're only focusing on the changes, it's like they never can come fast enough. Right. So like for you, what, um, what would you say is the biggest as far as your eating? 
between when you were competing and now? Like, is there a huge difference or do you kind of just eat the same, but a little bit more? Yeah, no, I kind of, um, I just learned to let it go and not, I, I think, um, after a while you should be able to, and this doesn't work for every man. I mean, some people are very type A and they have to have all those control mechanisms in place. I'm not, I'm type B. I'm like super unorganized <laughs> and the less organization in my life, the more I function. Um, so I've kind of like put my eating on autopilot and, you know, I, I, I realized what I can get away with and what I can't. And I know when to pull back the reins and to, cut loose a little bit um, and I can tell like internally which is huge when I haven't been uh, not necessarily on point but I haven't been treating my nutrition um, with as much respect as I should be I can feel it inside so uh, you know over the summer like I was cramming to finish grad school and I was relaunching get glutes and I had all these things going on and I would sit down every night and have like a glass of cider or a glass of wine and then it like clicked, like this has become like sort of my de-stressing mechanism to sit down with like alcohol every night. You know, I wasn't getting hammered or anything, but like I would look forward to the end of the day when I, I can sit down with that glass of wine and, and chill. And I was, and then I, you know, I'd be sleepless and I would feel good when I woke up the next morning. And I'm like, well, this is sort of self-defeating. So I cut that out, you know, and I could see like what it was doing to my sleep, to my mental state, to the fact that I started craving, like, you know, like it's five o'clock, I need to pour that glass of wine. Um, I, I was able to recognize that. And I think that's huge to be able to sort of recognize things inside of yourself. And I hear clients say this all the time, like, you know, I, I went to this party and I had a couple glasses of wine and I, I ate you know, I overate probably like 500 calories and I didn't feel so good the next day. I'm not mad at myself for doing that, but I realized like, okay, that's why I stopped doing it, you know? Right. Um, so you should be able to get to a point where you can recognize what you're putting into your body um, and how it makes you feel and, you know, good or bad and be responsive to that. And that's kind of where I've been for a long time. So I don't necessarily, you know, make sure that I meet my macros or that, you know, my plate looks like, you know, what the, you don't know. Exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With like the three points each type of food you're supposed to eat, blah, blah, blah. I don't do that, but I, I definitely try to stay in tune with how my food is affecting my performance my moods, my energy, and I, I try to stay on top of that. Okay. I ultimately think that is where we all should be striving to get. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone should be on a perpetual diet, constantly logging, constantly tracking every little morsel. I know some people may have to because they just feel like more comfortable that way. A lot of people think they'll get out of control if they just right. allow themselves to listen they don't trust they don't trust their internal cues they don't trust their hunger cues you know maybe a lot of that comes from dieting and suppressing it for so long so I, that is always my ultimate you know hope is that most people can get there to where they they aren't tied to their my fitness pal app or whatever you know what i mean and that they can go on vacation and enjoy their food and then come back home and just get back into their routine and everything is okay like you don't you don't die <laughs> you don't you know like 
everything doesn't fall apart because you have this like weekend where you kind of just experiment or you go somewhere that you haven't been before and you try something new or you overeat. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode and make sure you keep in touch. So whether that's through DMs or email, I would love to know what you felt about this episode or if you have topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes. You can DM me on Facebook at em2wl or over on Instagram at eatmore number two way less or via email at info at eatmoretowayless.com. If you're completely new to the Eat More to Way Less process, you can also grab our quick start guide at eatmoretowayless.com slash start. See you next time.